0: This is The ADHD Fix, How to Achieve Your Potential, the podcast to help you use 15 proven strategies to discover the many gifts of ADHD. I'm Henry J. Svek, and for over 30 years, I helped others diagnose and treat ADHD. Now retired, I turn my attention back to those 15 strategies I use to help achieve my potential with ADHD. Learning what I did to help myself will help you achieve your success. ADHD is a gift. Let's get started. On today's show, I welcome Cynthia Hammer, MSW. Now, Cynthia is the founder of the inattentive ADHD coalition designed to help all of us better understand inattentive ADHD and what resources we can use to help us achieve to our potential. Now, Cynthia has been diagnosed with ADHD. She'll talk about that. And she'll talk about some exciting new projects and how at the age of 79, she continues to love life and help others with ADHD. I have just two questions, but I'd like you to just start if you could. Uh, I hope to keep this to 30 minutes because, you know, most of us, can't focus for more than 30 and that's about my limit. Uh, but tell me a little bit about how you got to being, and I just wanna say this right, uh, the director, founder and everything for the inattentive ADHD coalition. Tell me how we got there.
1: Well, it's a, I'll give you the short version, but I got diagnosed when I was 49 years old and I'm now 79 years old. Uh, a few years after I was diagnosed, I thought I was the only adult in the U.S. that knew about their ADD, but I went to the first conference for adults held in Michigan, and I met people there who, adults who had known for five years. So some adults started to be diagnosed like in 1987 or so, but it was very unusual. So what, made I, so what made you get
0: diagnosed? What made you think about it?
1: Well, through a son- a son oh. got diagnosed and then I did. Okay. And so after I came back from that conference, I started, this, I started a support group, but it was just um, inviting people to come and talk. And it was a real failure because all kinds of people with ADD show up. Some of them are on welfare and some of them have successful careers and people wouldn't return the second time. So we were always starting over again. And then I changed the format, so we got a big hall at a hospital, and we just had speakers come in every month. And actually, Paul Chaffee started a Manhattan support group about the same time, and he's still running his, wow. so that's pretty amazing. But from that, I my, my mother gave me $2,000, and I decided to start a nonprofit organization with that, and I did the work to establish a nonprofit back then called ADD Resources with the goal of educating adults about their inattentive ADHD. And I ran that for 15 years. And that's how I got to know a lot of the professionals who are still out there because Dr. Hallowell, Dr. Rady, Dr. Dodson, Dr. Brown, um, we had annual conferences. This is out in Seattle and they all came to talk. So, um, Anyway, I ran that for 15 years. And then what happens with ADD is it was like, oh, another conference, another newsletter. I just didn't have any new ideas that were exciting me. I went and got trained as a coach, but I just don't have the I'm an entrepreneur, but not for profit, I guess. (laughs) It was very hard for me to promote myself. I never got beyond being a pro bono coach. And so after two years of that, I just stopped. And it was only during COVID that I got a memoir from a friend. She lives in Australia. And I thought, oh, if we're going to be shut down, maybe this is a good thing for me to do. And I started out thinking that I would just write something for my family. But as it went on, I started, I learned more about writing. I went to the websites and learned more. And I thought, oh, this is pretty good. Maybe I should hire someone to help me. And when I hired this developmental editor, there's all different kinds of editors. I mean, some of them have very small niches, but he was able to do the whole ball of wax. I had written, I think, 50,000 words, and he took away... I think he took away 10,000 of them. And he said, we're just going to make this about your ADHD journey. So the things I had in there that I liked about what my things that I enjoyed in my childhood or trips I had taken, that those became irrelevant. And if you've ever written, you know it's hard to let go of something that you've written. But then he had questions that he asked me And then we wrote new material for the book. And then, so during that process, I went back to learn more about ADHD and where things were in the field. And I encountered a guest blog at Attitude from a young girl actually in Canada, who just said, I am so angry, I'm so angry. I know I'm told, just move on, just get on with your life now that you have your diagnosis. But she felt people had failed her, that she hadn't been diagnosed earlier. And even though people noticed challenges with her, and she even went for professional evaluation, no one twigged to her inattentive ADHD. So that's when I decided I would start the nonprofit. and. It was kind of, (laughs) it was difficult because, but then I said to myself, if not me, who? So I felt something needed to be done and I couldn't wait for someone else to do it. So I did it. And it's actually been really, really rewarding to be at my age, like you're going to be and feeling you're still contributing to an important cause.
0: That's, a, that's an important thing. I I mean I have to ask you though you got diagnosed in your 40s you're an MSW so I'm thinking you went to school before that diagnosis. Yes. What kind of strategies did you use without any knowledge like how did you cope? How did you I mean MSW is pretty serious, you know, program. How did you get through it all without any diagnosis or
1: Well, I'm always amazed when I talk with people with ADD who got good grades because i was always a b student with an a in gym and when i went to college (laughs) i was more of a c student with a b in gym you know so i can't say that i was a good student i you know i just i passed and i think i had a
0: lot of ability because it sounds like You know, When you're high average, above average, or gifted IQ and you have ADD, you sort of do what you do, but you still have enough, I call it, juice in the engine to get through a program
1: because Mm -hmm. you
0: have so much extra, I call it, horsepower. Some of us are average. So by the time we got to high school, we started to max out. So we had to really get our strategies in gear, right? But it sounds like you were gifted. Did they diagnose you as gifted ADD in your 40s or straight up ADD, if I can ask?
1: Well, I don't, I don't, the only thing, and I wrote about it in my book, is that in high school, we had a study period. And for some reason, I don't recall, another guy and I were not in a regular study hall. We studied in the library where we were supervised by the guidance counselor. And I only can conclude that I was talkative, that I was you know, annoying. <laughs> the, there was some reason they were isolating me. I
0: like, was thinking uh, you're gifted and they were giving you enrichment, but no, they uh, were pulling you out because you're a rabble rouser, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so when the guidance counselor left his office one day, we snuck in and looked at the files. And oh. in there, I saw that my IQ was 135.
0: Oh, there you go.
1: So I write in the book, that how that sustained me because my performance wasn't like that, but I still could tell myself I'm smart.
0: Why didn't they tell you that? That would have been so important.
1: Because I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know.
0: It would have made, wouldn't you think as a, as my, in my previous job, if we, we, we assessed a lot of ADHD gifted children Mm -hmm. who may be getting C's or even failing And you present the data to the school and they still say things like well that doesn't matter the the kid's not that smart and we're going "No, this this, if we just help this person overcome these symptoms this this kid's going to change the world and of course if you throw in opposition were you a little oppositional a little bit argumentative as a kid do you
1: think um again forgive (laughs) me but i have a poor memory I have childhood memories, but the one thing that stood out to me was one time I talked back to my mother and she slapped my face. Uh, And it was the first time she, you know, when I was a teenager. So I don't remember times before that, but observing children, I had a son with the inattentive type and you, you'll sometimes feel they're passive aggressive, um, Mm you know they wear your patients out so i i don't i only can imagine you know how how i was and my mother had four children
0: so when you got the word that you were diagnosed was it relief was it shame what did you feel when they said this is adhd
1: i think because although i always felt different i never felt impaired i never felt I just didn't know why I was different, but I would never have said there's something the matter with me. Do you know what I mean? So when I got diagnosed, it was kind of devastating. Mm. I felt a lot of stigma. I wrote in the book how I felt I went around with the letters ADHD on my forehead, that people saw things about me that I didn't see about myself and you know, thinking of times i annoyed people or i didn't fit in, i it just was embarrassing for me. and so it took a while to to come to grips with that.
0: as your self esteem improved, did you care less about what other people thought?
1: um i don't know if i ever cared a lot about what other people thought because for me, when I hear about people masking, I said, I don't think I ever masked because I wasn't socially aware enough to mask. You know, I just <laughs> was I would just was me. Yeah. But um I can't remember your question.
0: I I just I just was referring to the part of sometimes, you know, with ADHD I, I'm just giving you my personal experience. Um make a lot of mistakes, uh sometimes too impulsive. I do all that stuff oh. still. But oh yeah. I understand it now and I don't make an excuse for myself. I kind of ask myself, what tool didn't I use right now? Or why did I try to do this when I'm not focused? I should wait till I'm really focused before I try to edit something or respond to an email. And also there's that emotional piece that happens. Most of us have some, you know, sometimes we get that little emotional peak quicker than other people or maybe I have oppositional as well. So I, I don't, i'm not a good employee i've always worked for myself i could never Uh work for anyone else so so i guess what i was trying to get to as the self-esteem improves yes um usually i found that when i felt lousy about the diagnosis it was because i wasn't feeling confident Mm -hmm. i remember i wrote i also have a learning disability so when i was i wrote a report for court once and in court the judge yelled at me because there were two spelling mistakes in my report and, and, you know, I didn't have an editor back. No, who who edits, right? So I, I, I had a secretary, but we missed a few typos. And the guy just, blocked, the, I'll never forget that wow. judge for doing that. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. so you, it's because I didn't have the confidence, I thought.
1: Yeah. Um, which is t- tough. It just doesn't come up for me a lot that, um, I, even before my diagnosis, I worked a lot on, eliminating negative self-talk. I went to a talk. I don't know if you ever heard of Selma Freyberg, but she wrote a classic. I don't remember the name of it.
0: No, I can look that up. um,
1: she, She had you go through this exercise where you're sitting with your eyes closed and you bring someone in and they sit down opposite you and you tell them how much you love them and all the ways you love them. And then she says, you go by that person. And then the next person that comes in and sits opposite you is you. And so I'm sitting in this huge auditorium, we're all with my eyes shut. And I can't think of a single thing to say about myself that doesn't have a butt. And it was even hard to come up with two things I could say, even with the butt. So when I left that meeting, I decided I was, if when I went to bed, if I thought of anything negative about myself, I had to think of a positive to counteract it. And somehow over the years, it just disappeared. I no longer have negative self talk at all.
0: Fantastic.
1: Yeah. yeah. And so I think that is a key, key thing to help, you know. So I still make. And, and the other thing that happens, of course, now, my life is so much simpler. I mean, that I don't have children. Um, I'm retired. I can spend my day the way I want. I still have mistakes or things, but I just, they're not, they don't disturb me. It's part of who I am. I accept that these things are going to occur in my life. It's like having to wear, glasses or um, having arthritis. You know, there's just, that's my life.
0: So as an MSW, I just wanted to ask professionally, what was your target population? What was your professional career? What did you do?
1: Well, I started out, Interesting. After I, I went studied economics in college because I was I, I thought I wanted to do math, but it got too hard. So then <laughs> I did economics, and then I got a job at a bank, which I hated. And then I was wow. over on a college campus and saw that there was a job at a school for emotionally disturbed blind children, and I went there and was a school teacher for a year, and then I thought I want to work with the parents of these children. So I started out at college in Boston to work with parents, but when I switched, we mo- I got married and moved to the University of Washington. There was a grant to be a geriatric social worker. So I switched my field and trained to be a geriatric social worker. Okay. And I, I didn't really ever get, well, so I did that a little bit before I got married. Then, I mean, when I was early married, then I had children. When I went back to work part-time, I was a discharge planner at a hospital. And then I worked at a continuing care retirement community. And then when I got diagnosed, I left and started the nonprofit.
0: Okay. Okay. A couple other questions. Can you t- do? You, would you mind sharing your routine that makes you successful every day? What's your typical routine? Hmm. (laughs) when do you get up all that kind of stuff uh,
1: I get up at 8 in the morning right now I started um, I just have a cup of tea for breakfast I used to have coffee but now I just have a cup of tea I read the newspaper I have exercise machines in the basement I usually go and I exercise for an hour and somehow it's almost noontime wow (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but it depends. I right now I don't have a lot of work that I'm doing for the organization. I'm waiting um the editor that helped me with the book, he's writing the promo for the book and I'm waiting for that so I can start emailing it and promoting it to to people. And because I knew the book was coming I've produced the blog posts all the way through the end of May. And I've produced the handouts that we give once a month. So I don't have anything pressing on me that needs to be done.
0: What's the title of your book?
1: It's, well, (laughs) the short title, the one to look for is Living with Inattentive ADHD. And then there's a longer title underneath about the circular staircase. Okay. And I had a woman do the graphic for me, which which is awesome. And and, and the publisher is deciding whether they'll use it or not. But it's a very colorful, um fant- fantastical staircase that's curving. Every stair is a different color. And then there's um a, a cloud and a sunshine.
0: When will it be out?
1: Well, some websites say March 28th, but when I said that to the publisher, they said that's just a holding place.
0: Okay, great. Well, that's good to good to know. But it's
1: available now. You okay. can go anywhere, to any place you buy your books, and ask that it be pre-ordered.
0: Okay. Thank you for that. I, I, I've got to ask you this, though, because one of the things that I found in my case, when I got to the, what I call the other side, so once I figured it out, once I – worked hard. Like you talk about exercise, you know what that does to our brain, right? It makes us kind of normal for a few hours. So I guess, you know, when I got to the other side, I started realizing for me, it was kind of a gift because I could actually do three or four jobs as long as I followed the structure and didn't let things mix together and made sure I was really disciplined. I could actually do three or four times the work that I would normally do because I had figured out. So I call it kind of a gift because I got a lot of energy. You know, that energy you get, it's it's like that. I get that every day. So I don't know how that's received when you say something that certainly is a diagnosis and certainly is life-changing in a negative way for people. How do we call that a gift? What are your thoughts on that? Let's take a moment to hear from our sponsor. ADHD isn't just for kids but can certainly look and feel different for adults. The experienced multidisciplinary team at OSR Clinics understands the complexity of ADHD in adults and can help you determine if it is ADHD or something else. The comprehensive assessment process doesn't only look at symptoms, but also looks at your brain in order to understand what's really going on. Visit osrclinics.com to book your free information session today. That's osrclinics.com.
1: Well, there's a lot of people out there that just say it's a gift. And I guess I've written um, an article for Chad Magazine. I hope they'll include it, that I think it can be both a different well, a disability and a difference. So I'm not getting to a gift yet. A disability <laughs> and a difference. So it starts out as a disability. And your challenge over your life is to just make it a difference. And as far as experiencing the gifts of it, um, I don't know. Mm. I don't know if there are gifts to it. Because we don't know what a normal person, a neuronormal person's life is like. You know, do, does, does, does it equal out? The fact I know that if I'm inspired to write something, I can sit down and write it very quickly. And I'm amazed to hear people will spend days working on a paragraph, you know, where for me, some stuff just, if it's in the moment, I can do it very, very quickly and feel it, it's good. Um, so if that's a gift, I just don't, I don't know. I don't like to, to think along those lines. Okay.
0: I, I, I just wonder, I, I wonder how people feel. Cause I know when I was at that beginning stage and there was nothing really gifted about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd be wondering what the heck's this person talking about. But as I, uh-huh. I would see it as well though, as optimistic because rather than say your life is negative forever to know that there is a way to make it really awesome you know, as long as the environment, like for example, um, some of the most painful situations is the auditory um, confusion I get if I'm in a noisy restaurant.
1: Oh.
0: Can't stand. I, I, I've got. To, in fact, a couple of times I had to leave, and, and my family yeah. got upset. I just, I just couldn't. It just overload, right? The the auditory overload at a couple of restaurants. One in particular I'm oh. thinking about, which kind of looked like a scene because I just got up and left. I didn't say anything. I just. You oh. said what the heck happened here? I go. I couldn't yeah. do it anymore. You know. Uh-huh. I just. Yeah. So that's still there. That doesn't change. So I don't know how to explain it.
1: Well, I read on Sari Solden's website, and it's kind of related, that she said she's not into fixing people, you know, you and, and, and it used to bother me so much that coaches would say, you don't need to be fixed. And I said, well, what do you mean you don't need to be fixed? You need to take medicine. You need to employ all these strategies. Isn't that trying to fix yourself? You're kind of unhappy with how you're living your life. And now, you know, aren't you trying to fix yourself? But what she said is, I just focus on helping people to live a full and contented life. And so, I, you know, I I get away from that talk about gifted or or um, fixing yourself. It's just the goal for everyone is to live a full and satisfying life.
0: Final question and then I'm, I'm sure it's our time will be up, but I just wanna ask you a little bit about medication or not because some of us go through this journey without, some go with, I have no opinion on either. Whatever works for people is great, as long yeah. as it's monitored and we have a good diagnosis. The concern I had with children was We had teachers diagnosing, principals. Sometimes Mm -hmm. teachers would be told, tell a parent, if you don't put your kid on meds, he's not coming back to my classroom, even though there's no diagnosis, no workup. Well, that's in
1: Canada, because in the U.S., it's totally the opposite. And teachers won't even, we're trying to get them to say to the parents, I noticed something about your child. Perhaps you should talk to the doctor.
0: Well, we, we actually, I mean, you can't really do an assessment without some educational feedback, right? So we always would ask. The problem is you get the response if the person feels the child has a problem, they're going to have a problem. So you want real operational definitions, right? Things about when and what time of day and did the child eat properly and make sure everything else is, you know, excluded from a diagnosis. So, so what you're saying is in America, it's why would teachers not give data to parents? Like if their son or daughter is... Performing below expectations.
1: If if for the inattentive type, we feel that the elementary school personnel is key in helping to identify these children. Because if a parent only is having one child or they're not seeing the child in this structured all day situation, they're not gonna pick up on the inattentive behavior as much as a teacher who sees a class full of children, and knows normal childhood development. So we're we're really focused on teachers um, being the ones to say to the parents, um, your child is often off task. They're often dreamy when they respond. They don't seem to know where they are on the lesson. They pass in papers that are lots of errors and just sort of say to the parents, this is a concern because I don't see this that often, and other children in the class, hmm. whatever you know, I don't know exactly the language they should use, but we're really hoping that they they start to realize how important it is for people to be diagnosed early in their lives, and um, how dangerous it is if they go without diagnosis, because we're learning about twelve years earlier death.
0: Yeah, I guess two things that I wanted to ask about with that. I mean, we we know that diagnosing a two-year-old is impossible. I think we'd all agree on that. The other part, though, is what type of evaluation. That was one of my biggest concerns when I got started. Uh, They were five-minute diagnosis. They would do Um, a Connors checklist. Uh, The pediatrician would check a few boxes. Yep, you got ADD, try Ritalin, see you next week or six weeks or whatever. And there was no comprehensive assessment. So that's when we got into neuroimaging, and making sure we rule out all the other conditions and be very careful because there, it just seemed to be uh, sort of thrown around, you know, and before you knew it, a child would be on medication without any proper assessment. And, and I just wonder what the assessment process like is for adults that you're seeing for inattentive. So if, if an adult is 30 in Washington or hooks on well, your website.
1: No, it's right. the most bizarre thing. If uh, I've read things on Reddit where people post what they went through to get a diagnosis, and it ranges from, you know, what you're saying, something speedy. I mean, I got diagnosed by saying to my son's pediatrician, "I think I have ADHD," and he said, "You do."
0: Uh, like that was it? Like, but
1: but he had observed me for uh, two years at fifteen-minute appointments yeah. you know i'm just i'm 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 not trying to make light of it but um so what now absard is trying to develop guidelines for adult diagnosis because, you know, some psychologists will want to ne- do neuropsych testing. And yet Dr. Brown says that's not the way you diagnose ADHD. And he says the way you do it is having an interview, understanding their lives, the problems, where it's showing up. And it's just based on the personal interview. So I, it's all over the place. And it's... Uh,
0: yeah, it's- I, guess, I guess I came down on the side of it's a neuro... Logical problem, and clearly there are neurological markers, mm. it's kind of like giving someone an interview for a blood test instead of testing their blood. Ah. And so when we started working with Dr. Thatcher out of uh, Florida on the QEGs, which is an EEG that you probably are aware of, it's statistically mm. analyzed, you can actually economically in the office assess the brain image and create a brain image that is statistically compared to ADHD or brain yeah. injured folks. And it gives you that piece of data. It's not everything, of course, it's just a piece and right. everything that you said, Dr. Brown talks about. So we, I just find that it's so important to just to make sure, because it's a life altering label.
1: Well, years and years ago, I don't know if you've heard of Dr. Phelan, but he, he um, came to speak to us and he, his feeling back then is most adults who think they have ADHD do and and uh, Russell Ramsley wrote an article for especially for women because when they go to say to a doctor, I think I have ADHD, they'll, they'll say, No, 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 you have depression or you have anxiety. And he was trying to get them to have more confidence to speak up for themselves, you know, to and often online when the women complain that they didn't get the diagnosis, people will say, Go get a second opinion. So on our website, we have a questionnaire. It was based on um, this woman that, well, there's something out of Holland and it was the form before it was copyrighted, but it's a questionnaire that helps adults figure out if they might have the inattentive type of ADHD.
0: So remember, you can pick up Cynthia Hammer's book, wherever you get your books and it's regarding inattentive ADHD she's also the founder and director of the inattentive ADHD coalition so that's Cynthia Hammer H-A-M-M-E-R pick up her book on Amazon I believe it's coming out the end of March possibly April and um give it a look it looks like it's going to really be helpful for those of us with inattentive ADHD Remember that right now you can pick up Josh and my book, The ADHD Fix, at Audible or wherever you buy your books. Have a great one. See you again next week.